From the colossal Ayers Rock Formation in the middle of the desert to giant kangaroo fossils, Australia is home to many fascinating geological discoveries. But do these features show evidence of creation? Stay tuned. It reminds me of the time when the Australian continent was covered in water and of God's judgment at the time of the flood. This is Science, Scripture and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Since Noah's flood was a worldwide catastrophe that destroyed the earth and its inhabitants, we can find fossils and unique geological landforms throughout the world. Australia is host to some amazing geological features that reveal a rich earth history. How does the land down under help us understand creation and Noah's flood? Join us for the next 15 minutes as we learn about Australian geology and what it means to creation science. ICR geologist Dr. Andrew Snelling tells of a very popular landform out in the middle of nowhere. One of the most outstanding landmarks is right there in central Australia. The Aborigines call it Uluru, but the original discoverers named it Ayers Rock after a, an explorer that went through there, a surveyor who was exploring. It's a rock formation. It just sits up there out on the desert floor. Uh, similar desert country to around Phoenix and other parts of the southwest, lots of sand around. You've got these flat desert plains and this huge monolith, this huge, like a huge boulder. But of course it's not just a boulder. You've got these near vertical layers of sandstone that were once flat lying stacked up on top of one another that have been tilted over. Rising up from the desert floor, Ayers Rock is about 1,100 feet high and two miles in length. However, beneath the surface, its length continues. There's even more of it under the desert sands. They've found from drilling around there that the total sandstone thickness, layers of sandstone, is of the order of six miles. It's a lot of sand. So how did such a colossal structure form in the middle of a dry desert region? The closest the sand could have come from because of the, sand, the types of grains, minerals that are in the sand, is probably about 60 or 70 miles away. And the grains of sand are jagged, they're not rounded. And they're all mixtures of grain sizes, they're not sorted into layers with the same grain sizes. And that tells us something about the water currents that transported these sand grains. One of the minerals is so fresh, if it's been there for millions of years, should have decayed away with the weathering processes at the Earth's surface. So does this mean that the sand that formed Ayers Rock was laid down rapidly? Dr. Snelling says yes. This tells us that water currents, similar to what we, we see occasionally in the ocean floor today when you get huge slumps of sediment where the, the water carries the sediment at speeds of 60 or 70 miles per hour. Something of that order, you know, within a matter of hours, six miles thickness of sand was transported and accumulated in just a matter of hours a distance of 60 or 70 miles or more. And so that speaks of catastrophe. It reminds me of the time when the Australian continent was covered in water at the time of the flood. And uh, so it reminds us of God's judgment at the time of the flood. Uluru, a spectacular landform. What other evidences of creation do we find in Australian geology? Creation Research International Director John Mackay says the fossils in the rocks have their own story to tell. Sitting in the remains of old swamp beds and old creek beds are one of the things that are really fabulous. We have fossil kangaroos, but I just don't mean any sort of kangaroos. Uh, within a 100 miles of my place, 
you have kangaroos that are giant kangaroos, you know, one and a half, two times the size of the present day ones. We have wombats, uh, well, the latest estimate on the size of some of these wombats is that they weighed up to two and a half tons. Today, you can hold an Aussie wombat under your arm and walk away with it. They're so tiny. However, marsupials weren't the only animals that were larger in the past. John Mackay tells us about a reptile that was supersized as well. You have goannas up on the Darling Downs, not far from the giant kangaroo site, which they're sort of 20 to 30 feet long. And the same goannas in my backyard today, if you went down there and had a look around the bushes, you'd be hard pushed to find one more than three feet long. But how do larger animals in the past point to creation? I grew up outside the church and I always had trouble with stories like Methuselah living to be 969 years. I guess you can understand now that I don't have any trouble with those portions of the Bibles at all because if you've got a kangaroo today that reaches sort of 5 or 6 feet tall and you have ones in the rock that are 12 to 15 feet tall then you had kangaroos which lived longer and by implication the same is true for the goannas and by implication that meant the environment was much better and there's your biblical picture because the biblical picture is not one of evolution it's one of created perfection followed by man's rebellion followed by God's judgment at the flood rapid destruction and then the collapse of the environment the animals can't live as long and of course the pattern follows through with human beings in the Bible which are the only ones whose ages are recorded and we get less and less until we get down to the present. It's not just the size of the animals we find in the fossil record that's fascinating. The location where some of these fossils are found can also be quite interesting. Dr. Snelling talks about a cliff in Australia that's just loaded with past marine life. One of my favourite locations in Australia is at Fossil Bluff in northwest Tasmania. Tasmania is an island state of Australia off the southeast coast. And Fossil Bluff gets its name because of the fossil layers that are found there. It's a series of limestone layers sitting on top of a, a grey looking rock that's got boulders in it. And it's got an undulating surface where the limestone has an undulating surface sitting on this grey rock beneath. That means, of course, there was erosion. And in fact, in the limestone at the bottom of the limestone, there's boulders. And then there's all these fossils, thousands, thousands, millions of these sea creatures, corals of different types, uh, marine snails, shellfish, many varieties of the sorts of creatures you'd find that lived in shallow marine water, shallow seawater. What's even more intriguing than finding marine fossils buried in that high bluff is the special guest found with them. Also in this fossil deposit, which goes about 80 feet up this cliff, all these fossils actually get less in number as you go up. There's a lot at the bottom and then less, as if you had one surging current that deposited them and, and then slowed down and buried less and less fossils. We find in this fossil deposit two very key important fossils. The remains of a toothed whale and the remains of a marsupial possum. Now, a possum, of course, is a bit bigger than a, a squirrel, and it's a, you know, a native Australian animal, this marsupial possum. Now, the question is, is this where a whale and a possum live together? Of course, whales and possums don't live together. I say to people, when was the last time you saw them living together? You don't. A whale lives in the deep ocean, a possum lives on land. So how could these two creatures be buried together in a limestone with all these marine creatures? 
either water came from the deep ocean and brought the whale up into the shallow marine area and then also brought this possum in, or everything got taken up onto the land to bury the possum together. Either way, you're talking about a lot of water catastrophically scouring the countryside, picking up boulders, picking up all these creatures and burying them together in this huge mass grave. Again, it speaks of God's judgment at the time of the flood because the Bible says that all the high hills under the whole of the heaven were covered with water and all in whose nostrils was the breath of life perished. So there was a wholesale destruction of life. The burial of sea creatures and land animals together is not the only strange combination of fossils found in Australia. Although coal is common in many places, Dr. Snelling explains how some deposits in Australia were formed by material that doesn't match the environment in which they're found. We've got huge brown coal deposits in southern Australia. Some of these layers are three, four, five hundred feet thick of just solid brown coal. And it's made up of pine tree material. And of course these trees today we can identify what trees are. These trees don't grow in swamps. And yet the standard explanation is that this was a huge swamp that slowly over millions of years accumulated all this buried material, which is absolute nonsense. How can trees that don't grow in swamps today be a swamp back then? Instead, it's testimony to huge forests that got swept away and buried. The trees in Australia's black coal deposits also identify with rapid catastrophic burial. We actually find tree stumps sitting on the coal seams, the coal layers, that go from the one coal bed through the sediments between them up through the next coal bed. If the one coal layer was a swamp that took millions of years and then it got buried and then you had another swamp, how could these trees survive for thousands of years through one swamp, then the sediments in between, then thousands of years for another swamp and not rot? We call these polystrate fossils. They go through poly meaning many, straight meaning strata. They go through many strata and they therefore show that the time scale for these processes was extremely short. And again, that is testimony to what the Bible says about Noah's flood. It was a year-long event where the whole earth's surface was inundated with water and everything that was on the land including the plants were swept away, buried and compressed and hardened and fossilised. Australia truly has some incredible geologic features that provide evidence for the worldwide destruction of Noah's flood. But, Dr. Snelling says, although God used the flood to destroy the world in the past, he's allowing us to benefit from its effects today. Wherever we look in Australian geology, we find evidence of God's handiwork in creation and God's handiwork in judgment and the one thing I, I really enjoy about studying the geology of Australia is the many ways in which what God allowed to happen in the flood during his judgment was actually providing for us in the post-flood world. We get our electricity in Australia from coal. We have huge mines that, that dig the coal out of the ground and it's burnt in power stations to produce electricity. In other words, even in judgment, God was being merciful in providing us with a resource that would help us to live our lives in the post-flood world. To me, it's such a precious thing. Where God is, is not just a judge. His judgment was loving because he wanted us to turn to him. And he's left these reminders in the world that he has judged that he was still in control and he still was merciful towards us. 
And, Dr. Snelling says, just as God provided the ark as the only way of escape from the judgment in the days of Noah, He now provides the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way of escape from the judgment to come. The scriptures warn us that just as surely as God judged the world the first time by water, the next time he's going to judge by fire. And while he's holding off from doing that, his love and his mercy is seen in the world that he's provided for us that we need to be careful that we do not miss taking up his offer of grace and mercy through the Lord Jesus Christ, the way of salvation that he has provided. So we need to be ready for when that day of judgment will come and be sure that just as Noah and his family were secure on that ark, that when the judgment comes next time, we're going to be secure in the the ark, which is Jesus Christ. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.